0: I have a number of confessions this morning, and uh, the first confession is this, I have watched Strictly Come Dancing. (laughs) Not just five minutes here or there, I haven't watched, I've watched entire episodes of Strictly Come Dancing. It's funny, well it's funny. (laughs) mixed reaction. First service, I got applause. Here I got boos and then applause. So, interesting response. I think there's a bit of a gender divide there in terms of that. Um, Now, I should say that the reason why I've watched whole episodes is because Susan and Emily love to watch Strictly Come Dancing, and I love to sit with them. Yes, absolutely, it's true. And I should also say that I have recently reached saturation point. I've had all the spray tans and sequins that I can cope with. And so I have actually taken myself off to another room now. But the thing that I've realized through, yes, I have to, admit, it, watching Strictly Come Dancing, I've learned something through it. And that is that the Christian life is in a lot of ways a bit like a week within the life of Strictly Come Dancing. See, at the start of the week, the celebrity in the duo doesn't have a clue how to do the dance. Whether it's the foxtrot, the quick step, the tango, whatever it happens to be, they don't have a clue. And during that week, we get a little bit of video footage where there's laughter and practice and practice and practice, and there's tears and there's sweat and even occasionally blood, mostly with blisters. But at the end of the week, on whatever it is, Saturday or whatever it happens, whenever it's recorded they're able to dance in front of several million viewers and they'll get a point or three points or seven points or ten points, whatever it happens to be. You know, so often when we, we think about the life of Jesus Christ, we think about, in a way, we think it's like the live show where basically we think about the things that are really obvious and striking. Jesus speaking with great authority and power. Jesus healing people. Jesus raising the dead. Jesus uh, loving the people that no one else loves or cares for. Jesus being willing to suffer and even die to see justice done. But I think so often our Christian journey is a bit like trying to dance on a live show without doing any of the practice during the week. It's like trying to play a sports match with no training whatsoever. It's like trying to join in a symphony with doing no rehearsal time whatsoever. And it's, it's not pretty to watch, and it's not pleasant to listen to. And the reason is because, you know, we know so little about the life of Jesus Christ. We have a record of the first few months of his life, a few Moments in the course of the first few months of his life. We have a record of a few days when he was 12 years old. And then there's radio silence. We hear nothing until he was 30 years old. What was happening in the life of Jesus that by the time he came to 30, for those three years, he turned the entire human civilization upside down. The clues are woven into the New Testament, and they're woven particularly into the Gospels, but it's a bit like us seeing the little tip of the iceberg, because in the life of Jesus, the vast majority of what goes on in his life lies unsaid beneath the surface. Most of Jesus' life, many of Jesus' hours, were working as a joiner on a building site. And Jesus moved in the rhythms of God's grace perfectly throughout his life. And can you imagine the challenge of doing that in the midst of a family home with lots of siblings and then going to work each day, possibly, first of all, with your father to train with him, and then actually to be in a building site and being able to live a perfectly unhurried, compassionate life where you're constantly moving in a dance with God by the power of the Holy Spirit. How, how did Jesus go about that? What did he do to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this, in this dance with the rhythms of God's grace? They're the things we often don't concentrate on. They're some of the things we're going to concentrate on over the years ahead, God willing, and some of which we're going to look at just in these weeks ahead. One of the things we're going to look at again today is the whole theme of resting. And the second one we're going to look at in a few weeks' time is simplicity of life and then fasting. There's so many more spiritual exercises. There's there's community, there's uh, study, there's celebration, uh, there's solitude and silence, there's prayer. There are lots and lots of spiritual exercises and Jesus was completely conversant with them all. The authority and the power of Jesus' life came through him cooperating with God the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit through engaging in blood, sweat, and tears in the spiritual exercises. And the one I will look at today briefly, again, we looked at it sort of three weeks ago as an intro, is to do with resting. How can our patterns of rest and work, of work and rest, be, be exactly the way God wants them to be? And how can we become more like Jesus Christ? Because that's obviously one of the, the primary reasons why we gather together, why we read the Bible, why we pray. We want to become more like Jesus Christ. And perhaps we think about his actions or his words, or perhaps we think about his character, full of love and joy and peace and patience and all the other fruit of the Spirit. But sometimes we neglect to understand how did Jesus work on a building site and never sin? How, how did he stand in the midst of hundreds and thousands of people who were clamoring for his attention, who were sick and broken and needy and, and sinful? And actually what welled up inside him like a, like a shepherd looking at his sheep was, was compassion. But again and again and again, his heart just went out to people whenever they came to him. How how can you and I be like that? And the answer is not trying to dance the live show and just be trying to think what would Jesus do? It's good to think what would Jesus do? Those bracelets and that whole theme of what would Jesus do is really important but actually we need to understand what training did Jesus do by the power of the Holy Spirit to enable him to do what he did. I love a few words that a former Lord Chancellor said, Lord Hailsham, in his book, Uh, The Door Wherein I Went, about how he met the living Lord Jesus Christ at university. He said this, the first thing we must learn about Jesus is that we should have been completely entranced by his company. Jesus was irresistibly attractive as a man. What they crucified was a young man, vital, full of life and the joy of it. The Lord of life itself. And even more, the Lord of laughter. Someone so utterly attractive that people followed him just for the sheer fun of it. How can you and I become more like Jesus Christ? I think one of the ways, one of the really important ways, is learning how to rest and learning how to work while while always remaining in the presence of God, our Heavenly Father. The other confession that I had about three weeks ago was the confession that I'm a bit of a Sabbatarian. And uh, that's not part of the Zodiac thing, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Uh, a Sabbatarian is, uh, is someone who sort of sees value in Sunday being a day of rest. But the reality is, as we talked about three weeks ago, is that Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. That Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Sabbath command. That of all the commands, there is one that has been already fulfilled. And that is the one on Sabbath because Jesus Christ is our Sabbath rest. And so as Christians, we're not required to treat our Sunday in the same way as Jews treat their Saturday. But we also noted the fact that God's creation has rhythms of rest and work. And we need, I I think, desperately as society to find, to rediscover the rhythms of God's grace in rest and work. So when God, the creator, brought into being creation, at the end of the first chapter of the Bible, it talks about that God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. And it was evening and it was morning the first sixth day. And on that sixth day, God created human beings what was, the, what was the experience of Adam and Eve on the first full day of their lives? It was the seventh day of rest. Our primary calling is to rest in the presence of God. As human beings, whether we're working or resting, our primary call is to be in Christ and to rest in the Sabbath rest of God. And we gather together on the first day of the week, the day of resurrection, our Sunday, because we want to encourage each other to dwell in the place of rest. This morning in our communion service, we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He lived for us, he died for us, and he is alive for us forevermore. And as we trust in him, we are reconciled to the Father through the death of Jesus Christ we are forgiven and set free. We become like dancers on the dance floor where we discover the freedom of God of being forgiven. And we also discover the life in Christ. See, those dancers on the dance floor experience not just freedom but also elation and joy and also deep satisfaction. That's the life of Jesus. Jesus. And that's the life that God wants every one of us to know, freedom, elation, and satisfaction. I would love to stand here today and say that I have always got it right when it comes to patterns of rest and work, but I haven't. There's a number of my friends who are also Church of Ireland ministers whom I trained with at Theological College in Dublin. And they love to remind me sometimes of being Nebuchadnezzar. It was my third year theological college. We had lots of books to read and essays to write. I was newly married. Susan was living in Belfast, working in Belfast, supporting me. I would take the money out in Dublin and spend that she would earn in Belfast. And, um, and so, I tried to do all my reading and essays and work in the weekday, weekdays of term times so that all the weekends and all my holidays would be free to spend with Susan. And so two weeks before the end of this term, I had all the books read. Well, most of the books read and, and bits of books read. But um, I had written all my essays. And the one thing I had left to do was deliver a seminar in front of my year group. And what I didn't realize was that I was completely mentally exhausted. That while most of my friends had left their essay writing to the last two weeks of term and were panicking about getting them done, I had them all done. But I was exhausted. And I was into that seminar and in the seminar, the name of King Nebuchadnezzar was central to deliverance of this seminar. Could I say the name Nebuchadnezzar? No matter how slowly I went, no matter how much I concentrated, I could not say the name Nebuchadnezzar. Well, the whole place just erupted in laughter. Even the professor, who wasn't even giving to smiling during a seminar, lost it. No one heard a word that I said. I was completely Nebuchadnezzar. The thing I've discovered in my life, in walking with Jesus Christ, is that this whole theme of rest and work needs not just weekly vigilance and planning and preparation, but daily vigilance, planning, and preparation. You see, I've discovered that on the one hand, resting well and working well leads to freedom, elation, and satisfaction. But not resting well damages my soul, my body, my spirit, and my mind. And it damages my family. It damages my marriage. It damages my friendships. And I imagine for most of us, if not all of us, we have discovered what it looks like to damage people around us and damage ourselves by not having good rhythms of work and rest. So this is really, really important. So what does it look like for us to have like a... Because I think there's still very much to be said for taking a 24-hour period of rest in the middle of every seven-day period. We might say, well, there are particular challenges for me. I, uh, I have small children. Uh, I run my own business. Um, I know that uh, there are many busy lives but I also know if we don't get this right, we will damage the businesses and the people that we're actually trying to spend time with. Because when we're with them, we'll not really be with them at all. For Susan and I, Friday is our day. It's our day of Sabbath. It's our day. Sabbath means to cease. It means to stop. It means to stop from paid work and unpaid work. And so for us, on a Friday, we try and guard a 24-hour period. We don't always get it right, but we try and guard a 24-hour period where we don't read emails, we don't answer the phone, uh, we don't plan meetings, we don't go to meetings, um, we don't pay household bills, we don't do DIY. It's no big deal for me. Uh, We don't do shopping. We avoid anything that for us feels like work. But it's not just about stopping and ceasing. You see, it's also about delighting. It's about doing the things that bring the greatest smile to our face in the presence of God. It's about enjoying the presence of the Creator in the midst of His creation. So we love, to, we love to go for walks. We love to go for walks in creation. We love to go for walks near the sea. We love to go for walks near trees and plants and flowers. We love to eat delicious food. Uh, we love to read books and read papers. We love to talk. We love to just be silent together. We love to talk about Emily these are the things that nourish our souls. We love to pray. We love to read the Bible. There's also occasionally, as it was this Friday, a snooze on the sofa. It's about completely replenishing our lives. And it's not about replenishing our lives and recuperation just so we can work more effectively on the other six days. I used to make the mistake of thinking that Sabbath rest was about recuperation for six days of work. But here's the problem with that point of view. Your work becomes the main thing. It replaces God in your life. We rest on the Sabbath to spend time not away from God, but with God. And we encounter him in the midst of his creation. Gerard Manley Hopkins, the, the British poet, says this, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. There are wonderful verses in Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal Knowledge. They have no words. They have no speech. No sound comes from them. And yet, they have words that declare the glory of God to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the world. If we seek to, to meet the Lord in the midst of his creation, we will see his fingerprints all over it. So why is it so Difficult for us to rest. Why do I, and perhaps why do you occasionally, drive yourself beyond the place that you know you should have stopped? Well, the reality is because we're afraid of what we'll see if we stop, which is why we find it so difficult to rest, where we seek to find our satisfaction in things other than God. It's this whole area which we deal with today in this communion, which is God dealing with our guilt and shame. Guilt is that thing where we we feel that the things that we have done and said are unforgivable. And Jesus steps into the midst of our lives and he says, Come to me, you who are weary and worn out with that sense of guilt and I will give you rest. I will embrace you, and you will know that you are forgiven, that the slate is wiped completely clean, that no matter what you've said and what you've done, it's gone. In Christ, it is removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And as Corrie Ten Boom used to say, God puts up a sign and says, no fishing. It is gone in the depths of the farthest ocean. He also deals with our shame. Our shame is a deeper thing to do with our identity. Our shame is a sense or a feeling or an experience that makes us believe erroneously that we have in some way been we are flawed irrevocably. That there's just something wrong with us that no one can do anything about. And Jesus says I fixed you. I have fixed you. You are not flawed. You are made whole through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today we celebrate the life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and the resurrection life of Jesus. Our baptism starts that journey for us where we have our old self drowned in the waters of baptism. We, we become reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. We become united to Jesus Christ. And it is he who enables us to come out of the place of death into the place of life because we're united with the one thing which will live forevermore. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we will have a resurrection body just like Jesus Christ has a resurrection body. And here in the here and now, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to learn how to dance the rhythms of grace by the Spirit of Christ living in us because he is Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have a dance instructor living inside us who never set a foot wrong and his name is Jesus Christ. And what does he want to do? He wants to put us to practice, to practice, to practice, to practice, to practice, to practice the rhythms of God's grace. How does that happen? Well, we look at the life of Jesus. He spent significant periods in solitude and silence. He fasted. He prayed. He knew the scriptures inside out. He lived in community. He always submitted to the authority of the Father. You and I can't hope to be like Jesus Christ unless we live in the same way as Jesus, unless we spend our time in the same way that Jesus spent his learning how to dance with the Holy Spirit in the rhythms of God's grace. This morning we had that wonderful Psalm 23, and in a way that's a bit like the theme tune for a dancing. It's a... It's It's maybe the best-known song in the whole world. The best-known song in the history of the world. A song written by a shepherd. A shepherd boy who became king. A shepherd boy who understood what it looked like to look after vulnerable, harassed sheep. And so in a way, it's a bit like the song of the shepherd. It's a bit like our approach to the Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ. And it speaks of what it feels like to live a life of freedom and elation and satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Shall we stand?